This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Oli Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. So this is second part with Professor Stephen Marlin. And in the first part, we were discussing about size prescribed to reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes. And in this part, we are discussing more about chronotypes and timing of exercise. Where would you like to start, Stephen? Yeah. Again, I appreciate being able to talk to you about this. I think an interesting question that we were grappling with a bit with exercise prescription and type 2 diabetes is some of the barriers people have to to moving and getting out to exercise. And some of that really comes back to preference. Um, sometimes I worry just even when making recommendations or being asked, what would a recommendation be? Is am I always thinking of what the person would like to do and when they would like to do it? And I think that when question is important. I think there's been a lot of emphasis over the years of Try to get 150 minutes to 300 minutes a week of exercise. Try to work at a moderate to high intensity exercise when you're out there. And even to say, take breaks in sedentary behavior. So targeting light physical activity, maybe two to three minutes on an hour around the workday to help combat some of the risk factors. But on levels, are we asking that question just when people should exercise? And there's been a lot of outstanding work in recent years. I think of Karen Esser and Julian Zerath as just two individuals of many great researchers asking that basic question of when. And this has been something on our minds more recently because we've begun to think about this through the lens of what's one's chronotype as maybe a way to go after that thought of when do people want to exercise? Uh, and chronotype, generally speaking, is a term some people I found aren't familiar with. But if I say, are you an early bird or night owl? Uh, most people are like, oh, I know what I am or that's easy. Uh, but that's your chronotype, essentially. That's what we're getting after. It's really one's preference towards performing daily acts of living. Um, so this includes going to bed and waking up. So if you like going to bed early and waking up early, you tend to be an early bird. If you prefer going to bed late and waking up late, that's more of the night owl. So, you know, to say, uh, generally speaking, there's a percent breakdown that we understand of chronotypes. So there's three broad classifications. There's morning, intermediate, and evening chronotype. Now, those three classifications actually have two middle categories. So you could see a moderate morning or a moderate evening that way. But generally speaking, there's these three, right? So the morning and the evening are the end kind of categories of that, they make up about 25% of the populations each, and the intermediate is about 50%. So that means about 50% of people are going to be intermediates. They prefer to do both, probably different times a day or different parts of the year and so forth. But the other 25% prefer morning, the other remaining 25% prefer evening. And I think that's an interesting kind of outlook because it begins to in our mind, think, okay, now that we know when people might prefer to do things, what's their physiology look like? Are there different risk profiles in these individuals? Are there any cognitive differences in these individuals? 
can we understand some of that to begin to think if we understand the pathology or physiology, I should say, really, maybe then we could start that question of when's the right time to exercise. Um, so that's at least our think. And it's been really um, fascinating to us over the last three years now, conducting a variety of cross-sectional studies and comparing people who consider themselves morning, intermediate, or evening chronotype, and really trying to understand their risk profiles. Uh, because to say there's some good evidence from epidemiological studies suggesting if you're an evening chronotype, so again, you prefer to do things later in the day, these individuals, generally speaking, have higher risk for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And that's really interesting in many ways. And those numbers or those risk profiles are independent of weight status. So I think that's a really important point bringing up that it may not necessarily be tied solely to body weight, that there might be something underlying in the biology that's actually promoting this risk. That said, obesity is also associated with more evening chronotypes. There may be some underlying combinations of behavior and genetics and physiology that are promoting these disease risks. And we're not really sure of that right now. Uh, but to say is one thing we know in people with type 2 diabetes is that many of these evening chronotypes, again, are prone to developing diabetes. And some of this relates back to the biology where eating patterns, for example, and movement patterns seem to differ greatly. So what we've seen in our research that is partnering with literature is that evening chronotypes tend to consume more of their foods later in the day. So what's been interesting is we just, we have a study actually in review now, but it's suggesting in line with some literature that morning and evening chronotypes might eat the same total calories in a day, but the pattern is shifted all towards really, or majority towards the evening time. Whereas morning individuals tend to eat their larger meals earlier in the day. And we might say if it's a energy balance issue, why would that happen? And it's a challenge. We're not really sure. There's been a lot of studies looking at time-restrictive feeding, time of feeding, and trying to understand some of this physiology. But there is some thought that eating later in a day may disrupt normal circadian physiology, where it may alter melatonin. And melatonin is an important hormone that it not only helps us sleep and fall asleep and stay asleep, it also impacts our physiology and our glycemic control and endothelial function so that blood will flow properly to different tissues. If this is the case and eating later in the day is shifting that hormonal profile, this may be one explanation again. That said, it's not really worked out. So it's something we're really interested in. But the movement pattern, just to say, circling back to that, is that evening chronotypes tend to not move much throughout the day. Uh, compared to the morning chronotype. Um, so thinking about from the morning chronotype, uh, these individuals tend to perform a lot of movement patterns early in the day. And that'll fade as the evening comes in as they prepare for sleep. The evening chronotype may not move as much throughout the day. And, and what's been interesting in our studies, we've confirmed this through using accelerometers uh, to look at not only total physical activity, but the intensities of that activity. But what's also interesting is we've done VO2 max tests to assess their overall cardiovascular fitness. 
And we find that morning chronotypes tend to be more aerobically fit than evening chronotypes, despite both groups being overall considered sedentary. Just as a general proxy, these are individuals who may be taking well under 5,000 steps a day. So it's really interesting that way, just coming back to some of the behavioral pieces, because physical activity and food are both considered zeitbergers or timekeepers and really targeting the way in which the peripheral tissues like our skeletal muscle function. And I bring that up and the important, I think, key term there is peripheral tissues uh, because we have a central tissue of the brain that has the suprachiasmic nucleus. And this one is really the central regulator for the body. So generally this is thought to be the master clock that controls the body through the neuro neurological system. And light is an important and potent stimulant for the brain. The peripheral tissues seem to respond quite strongly to movement and food. So I bring that up because there might be some nuances there to, for us to better understand in the exercise and lifestyle behavior models of how light is also interacting with the peripheral clocks and thinking about food and movement patterns. Because in some ways, the morning chronotype is going to be more exposed to that light especially earlier on. And this may entrain then the body's circadian biology to be functioning in a different way. Whereas the evening chronotype, as an example, is going to have a delayed response in that way. And their circadian biology is going to be shifted into a different profile. That then means it's operating under a different way. So just saying all that, I can't help but then think of that question going back to exercise prescription. What's the best time of day to exercise? If we think about it like this, then in my view, this may throw a wrench, so to speak, in the whole kind of approach, right? Because in some ways, I wonder, do we try to create a one-size-fit-all prescription? And I don't think it's necessarily intended that way. There's reason to say probably we have to at least start somewhere and make a general statement of, say, target 150 minutes a week. But like we talked about before... That doesn't necessarily mean it has to encompass the same exact exercise every time, the same intensities every time, and now maybe even the same time of day when people should be exercising versus even uh, thinking light and so forth. Yeah, quite interesting. For most sedentary behavior and physical activity researchers, collecting the research data is one of the most frustrating steps of a project especially as inefficient data collection steals too much of your precious time, causes unnecessary stress and hassle, and can easily derail progress of your project. This is why we devised a revolutionary new way to collect data, introducing Fibian Sense Motion, the beginning of a new era. Fibian Sense Motion is a cutting-edge, next-generation system that allows you to easily and remotely collect, store, and manage data. Our solution features a tiny, waterproof device that captures the sedentary behavior and physical activity data, a mobile app for automatic uploading of the data from the device, and a cloud service for managing the data. Even better, all collected data is GDPR compliant and you have access to automatically analyzed variables of activity types and raw 3-axis accelerometer data. Don't compromise on the quality of your research or the project timeframes. 
Discover the convenience and power behind our solution at sense.fibian.com. That is S-E-N-S dot Fibian, created by researchers for researchers. And how would you say about the morning? Would you say that for the circadian rhythm and the body to work correctly, you should see bright light in the morning? You should drink, you should eat, move, not maybe exercise, move, that you really need to do all of those needs, wake up. Yes, I think generally here, um, what I've come to appreciate is there, there's certainly evidence that conducting these behaviors earlier seem to be associated with lower disease risk. So I think for people then recognizing that uh, it may be something where for intermediates and evening chronotypes, that to be a consideration if they're able to. At the same time, we just don't have tons of data to know if that's necessarily the answer and going to work. But I think for what we do know, it's a fair approach to help individuals, especially of the later chronotypes, that if indeed this is the case, maybe think about shifting a bit 15, 30 minutes earlier to begin some of those processes of entrainment. Maybe being a devil's advocate here for the evening chronotype, could it just be that quite normal to eat potato chips, have a beer and watch a movie in the evening? If you wake up at 6 a.m., usually don't eat the potato chips and, and wine or beer. So could it be just about the, the choices between morning and evening? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. To, to your point, I think there is something to think about from a lot of the data we have, which is associated. So to your point, generally evening chronotypes would, um, uh, or literature would suggest evening chronotypes have more of these profilings of consuming saltier, maybe more energy dense or fattier food choice. Some of the data we have also suggests based on appetite profiles, that is indeed the case and eating behaviors. So we see that too. Does that mean that's causing the disease or some of these disease risks? I don't know, but I do think one could consider overall healthier food patterns. But what I'm getting at is independent of that, what seems to be happening is the circadian biology is emerging as an area that is its own risk. So that doesn't mean staying up, enjoying a drink, as you say, or potato chips and watching a movie with family or loved ones or friends is bad. I don't think that's the case either, because there's an important element of socialization, communication that is beneficial to one's overall well-being. Depending on maybe the frequency and repetitiveness of that, this could be promoting what's referred to as social jet lag. Because if people are doing this throughout the week and then they're being asked to wake up early to get to work, or maybe they have to take their kids to school, what seems to be happening is that's creating a misalignment of their circadian biology, what their body wants to be doing versus what now we're looking at is society. And that mismatch is referred to as social jet lag. And this is kind of an indication of circadian misalignment. And in some ways, that's where... The clock in the brain might be saying to do one thing, but the peripheral clocks are doing another. And now they're not entrained where the physiology becomes distorted. 
So to give you an example, just what I mean by this is it seems like at certain times of year, uh, so we use like daylight savings as an example, we change the clocks. We manually do this. Well, these happen to be the same times of year where risk of myocardial infarction, heart attacks, car accidents, all elevate, they all increase. And this occurs across ages too, but the population most affected is actually our young adults or our teenagers and adolescents because of the changes within their own bodies. So I bring that up just to say is the circadian alignment piece seems to be a really important functionality in this whole idea. And it may be then that evening chronotypes are most susceptible to the societal demands. So I think at least in the recent years, there's been major debates in the U.S. government on whether we should make permanent daylight savings and how will this impact society. And I think this, again, goes to that. It, it, there's a level where healthy eating and healthy movement patterns are important, no doubt. But we probably need to really think strongly about this idea of aligning our bodies with what they want to do versus society or daylight and how we can better utilize that as a strategy for health. And how do you see shift work? I think World Health Organization says that shift work is a risk for at least cardiovascular disease. I'm not sure if it was also type 2 diet. So that offers kind of a natural, dramatic research setting where the where there is definitely circadian misalignment. And then you have people who don't shift the shift, but they work all the time in the night. How do you see what learn shift work and luck for type 2 diet risk sure. and misalignment? Yeah, I think it's a really important area. And there is greater risk for people of working shifts um, for type 2 diabetes. So to that point, I think this is an, uh, perhaps a more studied area than chronotype per se in trying to understand how do we start prescribing healthier eating patterns or different eating patterns and physical activity patterns. I think what we can learn from that is, again, the circadian alignment is very important. And this is also to say in both cases of shift work and chronotype something that it's not necessarily all about sleep duration. So sometimes what happens within shift work or chronotype is that people get less sleep. And that would be understandable for, say, someone working night shifts that when they do get off, they may have to complete certain errands or tasks to support, say, overall family. And again, that may then cut into their sleep. So they would have what's on top of now a circadian misalignment issue, uh, getting into a sleep deprived state. And this could exacerbate hormone levels like cortisol or stress hormones that could also further impair vascular health. But from a chronotype perspective, what's interesting is sleep duration is not always the issue. In fact, research studies will support that independent of sleep duration, the alignment is its own entity in promoting changes in physiology. So I think shift work is helping us gain that insight into that, the entrainment, the alignment of our biology with acts of living are maybe on par with or to a level worthy of that discussion compared to sleep itself. And I think that's a really interesting piece because I know for at least myself, I haven't considered that as much in years. I generally have thought if you're getting your seven to eight hours of sleep, that's it. That's the answer. But I think what shift work is 
teaching us and chronotype as well is that, again, the circadian alignment, when we do things and what we're doing in that time could be really impactful for doing trainments of the periphery and the brain to lead to good quality of life, independent again of our sleep. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.